Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends and tactics from some of the world's most innovative minds in music. I'm artist manager and consultant, Jordan Williams. And I'm Sam Heisel, co-founder of the music marketing and content production agency, Knox. We're not teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans. Welcome to the show. Jordan, what's happening, man? How are you feeling? I'm good, man. Another day, another dollar. How you doing, bro? That's right. There it is. That's the motto, baby. <laughs> well, uh, today's show, we have a very special guest, uh, Shannon Herber. Shannon is the genre manager for pop, electronic, and dance at the Recording Academy. Um, this is an incredible episode. She peels back the metaphorical curtains a bit as far as how the Recording Academy and the Grammys operate. Um, and what I also really particularly enjoyed is even outside of a lot of the work that she does at the Recording Academy, which we'll talk about, and you'll, you'll see that there's a lot more to the organization beyond just putting on the, the massive production and award show that is the Grammys. So, uh, but even outside of her work within the Recording Academy, uh, she's able to devote a lot of her time and and uh, on the side towards interesting social impact projects. And I, I think for me, something I'm very passionate and excited about is how musicians and people in the music industry can leverage their platform to drive social change. And I think uh, she's an example of somebody that's doing that, uh, both within the music industry and beyond. So uh, hats off to her and really excited for what you guys are going to hear as we dive into this episode. What stood out to you, Jordan? Yeah. So going into this episode and you'll hear it, um, I sort of didn't really know how the process worked. And I wanted to illustrate to myself as well as to our listeners from A to Z, how artists get nominated and win. And she was able to do that very clearly for the people that are wondering. Not only that, but ways to strategize uh, in order to potentially be nominated for a Grammy and potentially to win a Grammy. So, um, you know, we get into a lot of things as it pertains to that process. Um, I know a lot of people right now seem, it seems like if someone gets nominated, it seems like it's coming out of some sort of crystal ball, but there actually is a process to it. Um, we also talk about, including me, I thought, you know, I had no idea. Uh, we also talk about how people vote for the Grammys, who's eligible to become someone to actually vote for Grammy awards. So uh, in the past two years, obviously a lot of people have watched the Grammys. And I think I think this episode will clear up exactly a little more how people are deemed qualified enough to make those decisions. Um, and I also, you know, like you, I, I really appreciate the fact that we got a little bit to into uh, the social justice aspect of the music industry and how music can actually not only, uh, you know, give us some of our favorite songs and create some of our memories for our lives, but additionally give back to our communities today um, and in the present moment. So I'm definitely glad to to, to speak to Shannon. I'm super excited for everybody to hear this conversation. It was, it was a fun one too. There's a lot of laughs during this one. So there it is. Well, without any further ado, let's get into it. Shannon, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you doing, Sam? Yeah, doing very well. I'm very excited to have you on. I think for, for starters, we'd really just love to have you set the stage with a little bit of your journey into the industry and what you felt some of your big breaks were in the, in the, in the journey. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. So I've been in the music industry for about 15 years. It's been my only career. Um, uh, I, I guess when I was in like college, uh, I really decided like, oh, I'm going to go for this full force. And at the time I was living in Massachusetts, going to school out there. And I got um, and I got it like a, a last minute internship for the uh, Spoleto Arts Festival in Charleston, South Carolina. And so I moved down there for the summer 
and really loved it and found a really amazing musical community um, that, you know, is still thriving to this day. And I still have friends out of that community. And, uh, and so while I was there, you know, I, I kind of realized like, okay, maybe at this particular moment, like arts, you know, organ, like arts nonprofits aren't for me, but, you know, I definitely, this is what I want to do. And so after I graduated from undergrad, I was like, well, you know, it's, let's see, early 2000s and there weren't any major like music business specific grad schools at the time, you know, like the Clive Davis school didn't exist then. And, um, you know, the, the Jimmy Iovine, Dr. Dre school didn't exist back then. So I just moved out to LA, decided to go to grad school at USC and, and figure it out while I was out here. And, um, what happened, what ended up happening actually is that I ended up getting an, another internship at Universal Music while I was a grad student at USC. And that was probably my biggest break because from that, I learned so much working at a record label, you know, like one of the largest record labels in uh, the world, really. And so I learned so much. But then on top of it, once I graduated, um, you know, they didn't have a place for me, but they recommended me to someone else. And so I was immediately able to get my first gig as um, a junior publicist. And then like a year and a half later, they called me back and said, hey, a job came open. You know, we trained you. We love you. Do you want to come back? And so by, you know, 25, I was a publicity and artist relations manager at Universal Music. Um, and, you know, and so I think that that's like, even today, that's something that I tell young folks is I'm always like, I know working for free sucks, but trust me, this business is who you know, and they don't actually care. They care that you have a degree. They don't actually care what it's in. They're not really going to look at it. They just want to see that you did something. And then after that, it's all going to be like essentially on the job training. They want to see you do the work. So if you show up and do well, then, you know, they're going to be able to stick their next out for you, which is the network you need to create. Um, so that was probably, yeah, my first real big break into the industry. Yeah, it's funny you say that because um, for the first few years of my career, I actually never had to spruce up my resume because I kept getting internships from people that I knew. And I mm -hmm. always say that to people um, when they're looking for experience in the industry. It's like, more about it's it's more about who you know especially in the beginning i remember the la one of the last internships i got at mass appeal records um i was being interviewed and at the end of the interview i said you don't want my resume and the person said oh oh yeah i guess so. okay and then I, then I gave it to me. but it was because i had already been referred by somebody that he like trusted a lot yeah. somebody he liked a lot um and I think leaning into your network immediately for situations like that is an easy way to to get into the door like fairly quickly uh, and with a lot of like respect as soon as you enter a room, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I have never, I've actually in my entire career, which, you know, at this point is 15 years, I've never gotten a job based on like a blind resume submission. Literally every job I've ever gotten has because somebody knew me or like you just said, I was recommended from somebody, you know, by somebody they trusted. So I, yeah, so I 100% agree with that, that like, I always tell people that like, it, you know, the music industry is a really big place, but it's a very small pond. And particularly if you're in it for a minute, you're going to know everyone. And so they're going to know you. So, you know, you got to do your job well and get to know people and be nice because that will follow you later. 
Uh, quick question, uh, sidebar, actually on networking. Um, I've gotten a, I've gotten a few uh, emails, text messages about kind of how to start that process. Um, what's what's a what's a way to actually just kind of like start your network? Because I think I think a lot of people that listen to this podcast they actually are from areas that aren't LA or New York, or you know they've just kind of gotten to those areas, um, and they're not necessarily sure how to start building their network um, in an organic yeah. way, as opposed to like reaching out to an executive and being like, hey. Um, you know, I need a job, you know, what's a, what's a, what's a, more, what's a way to kind of expand that network and, and seem genuine and, and obviously let things grow organically as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess from my perspective, and this may be like a pre COVID, you know, uh, answer, unfortunately, is I used to tell people music exists everywhere. And so what would you do for fun? Are you going to go to the rave you know, at the local warehouse, are you going to, you know, club 930 if you live in DC? Like, where are you going to do, have your fun experience in music? And then show up and say to that person, hey, you know, I do this in my, my free time. I really, really love this. If you ever need help, let me know. I will show up. I will stock your merch table. I will, you know, clean up after a show. I will be part of your flyer team for a rave, like whatever it is. Because again, that's sort of like an informal internship. And if you're doing it and you're being a part of the scene wherever you live, that's going to help as well. So, you know, that's that's what I would suggest at least is because most of the folks I know, particularly in dance music, that's how they got their next work started. And that's how, you know, they kind of did everything is that they were just like, hey, I go to these raves all the time. Can I pass out some right. flyers? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> okay, right. great. Come back tomorrow. <laughs> Free time. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. No one's going to say no to free. <laughs> so I, I know it's it's come a long way, and I think you just continue to level up as far as opportunities you're taking on and what you're able to accomplish and provide with the organizations you're working with. Can you speak a little bit about your what your day-to-day looks like now or some of the core elements of your role and responsibilities? Yeah. Um, so now I uh, am the pop and dance electronic genre manager for uh, the Grammys. And so basically what that means is I've got five categories that are sort of my, or some, sorry, six, six categories that are my responsibility. And so I handle all four of the pop categories and the two dance electronic categories. So uh, a lot of people ask, is that a full-time job? Yes. Yes. It's a full-time year round job. (laughs) You know, just because you only see it one day doesn't mean that uh, (laughs) we just put it together yesterday, right? All that. (laughs) Stick that one day. (laughs) Um, so basically what it means is I manage sort of those categories throughout the year. So we have this sort of like nine month process, right. Where probably about like June, we start to get all of our entries and we get about 22,000 entries a year. Cause keep in mind, we have 84 categories. And so even though you might only see, you know, each year it's different, right? So maybe this year we have eight categories on the show. Maybe next year we have seven categories on the show. Generally, it's somewhere between seven to 10 categories that actually make it on air, which means that there's anywhere, you know, from what, 74 to 78 categories that you maybe don't see. That's a lot of music, a lot of time, a lot of really amazing artists. And so um, that's kind of what we do throughout the rest of the year is that within our categories, We are managing the process of the entries. We're managing, making sure that they're verified, making sure that they came out during the right eligibility period, making sure that they haven't been 
um, released before in a different, you know, in like a different way, particularly for some of our song categories. Those are songwriters awards. So that means that if it's a cover, that doesn't count because, um, you know, it had to have been written that year as opposed to recorded that year. So there's all these sort of like little rules that we have to look out for when things are being entered. Um, and then once we get through that first process, then we come up with the first ballot. We send that out to our general voting membership. Uh, it, they, those, uh, those votes come back to us. And then we get to a second round of listening. And that's called our nominations review committees. Um, only certain categories have those, not every category. Um, and so then that'll be folks who are voting members of the academy. They'll listen to what comes back. Um, and then what they'll do is they will take those op those, they'll take those top 15 or 20 votes, depending on the categories, they'll listen, they vote, that becomes the nominations. We send those back out to the main uh, voting membership, and that's the second ballot. Voting membership listens again, that comes back to us. And then at that point, I don't, I don't see anything that happens after that because, you know, obviously our CEO and our TV committee and some other folks who have to know for the show um, will know early who is the winners. But other than that, in order to keep it really super secret lockdown, nobody else in the building knows. So even most of the awards department who are the folks behind the scenes on the day of the show, like making sure that the right people stand up and making sure the right people are accepting the award and taking them from you know stage to the winner's circle to get all their photos and stuff taken. Even we don't know who the winners are until the morning of. So anytime you see any of those like leaks come out that are like somebody at the Grammy says, don't believe it. Don't believe it. We don't, we don't know. <laughs> you heard it here first. Don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of reminds me. I had a friend that was on Homeland. Um, it was funny. I actually didn't realize he was on Homeland until I was watching Homeland. And I was oh, like, bro, like, you didn't tell me you were on Homeland. Yeah, like the show. I and love he that said show. That- <laughs> yeah, me too. And he said that he had no idea what happened outside of his scenes because they they like weren't allowed to tell him. It kind of reminds me of something like that, where it's like he had no spoilers on anything that happened in the season. They only gave him enough context to act in his scene. And that was it. And I feel like you had generally have to do that for like really high level production stuff. Yeah, totally. Um, And that's you nailed it. That's exactly what it is. It's like there's only everyone's on a need to know basis at that point. Right. And there's a lot of us that don't need to know. So (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. And also it's exciting, right? Like we're everyone's fan of music. So if you find out a winner early, like what's to stop you from if people aren't supposed to know, the people that aren't supposed to know what's to stop them from telling their mom or their brother. And then that may that may turn into a much bigger thing. Um I'm glad you kind of went through the process a little bit because I feel like in terms of the Grammys, how people are chosen, how people win. Um, People don't really know what that process is like. I mean, I know for me, um, when I worked with a Grammy nominated artist, it seemed like it was some magical ball that all of a sudden spit out the artist's name. We were like, oh! Um, How it happened or how it works or anything like that. Um, so I guess, is there any sort of strategy um, that artists can somehow do or follow in order to somehow be noticed by the Academy or, or is it, or is there that element of like crystal ball? Oh, it's, it's, it's your year. You, you're lucky. You got it. <laughs> you <know? laughs> it's right. <laughs> I mean, I would say, you know, it, there's like anything, I think it's a little bit of both, right? It's a little bit uh-huh. of luck. It's a little bit of strategy, um, but strategy only in that, um, you know, particularly if you live in Los Angeles, right? We've got a ton of billboards everywhere whenever. You always know it's award season because you're driving down Sunset and there's like 
an Emmy campaign billboard and an Oscars campaign right. billboard, a Grammy <laughs> campaign billboard, you know? So like, we're essentially just like the Oscars and the Emmys and the Tonys and everything, you know, we're a membership organization, which means you have to be a part of the community in order to vote. Um, but more specifically for us, you have to be a peer. So you have to be a music mm-hmm. creator, a songwriter, mm-hmm. producer, engineer, artist, you know, so it's, we don't even allow managers or, you know, um, you know, a lot of like label heads get really annoyed with us because they can't vote. Um, oh, interesting. I didn't realize yeah. that. So it is when we like say it's a peer voted award, that's what we mean mm-hmm. is that you have to prove to us that you're actually a music creator in order to vote. Cause we do have another category that's called professional membership and that's all those folks and they get all the same benefits, right? They can join all the all like the boards of local chapters and stuff like that. They go to all the events. They just don't get to vote. In order to vote, you have to be a creator of some kind and you have to prove it to us. Like, you know, there's an application process. We invite you to be a member after everyone sort of vetted you. You have to be recommended by two people. So it's like really detailed. So, you know, when there's, when I say there's strategy involved, the strategy is A, putting out really amazing music because the music will always win, at least if, in my opinion, I think it, it does more, more often than not. But secondly, being a real part of the community, knowing these people, knowing the producers, the songwriters, um, you know, the musicians, like if you're in a classical, if, if what you do is classical music, knowing all of the conductors, knowing all of the symphonies, you know, knowing all the violin, violin players, like being a part of your community, um, you know, to, to go back to like my earlier Charleston um, discussion. I a few of the people that I'm still friends with from Charleston are in a like jazz gala band called Ranky Tanky, and they've put out a few albums that have been like you know really really critically acclaimed and number one on jazz charts and things like that. And so they kind of came to me and were like, "Well, you know, we think these are amazing. What can we do?" Um, and so I just said, "You know." get involved with your chapter, get involved with, you know, getting, letting people know what your songs are about, letting people know that this is like Gullah music and why it's important to South Carolina and what it means to the history of, of the low country and, and those sorts of things. Cause the music is good. So if you just get your name out there, people will hear it. Um, and they actually ended up winning a Grammy last year. And so, um, wow. yeah, nice. which to your point earlier about like, but you know, if you don't know, then that's exciting. I didn't know they were going to win until the day. And then, I, and then I was there and they were there and I was just like, you guys, this is amazing. So I, I definitely also get that joy of like when good people win, like the process works, you know, good music is, is awarded. And, and I really love that. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, no, that's, that's amazing. And I think that's uh, let where all the fans in us, even as people that work in the industry really get to let that fandom thrive. Um, when it comes to the organization as a whole, um, what do you like? How is the organization structured? Obviously, you're a genre manager. I'm sure there's a massive team with regards to the the production and all the the back end logistics that that entails. Um, which I'm sure is just thrilling. All the all the little things <laughs> that need to go right for that to be smooth. But um, what can you speak to the other elements and how the organization as a whole is structured? Well, I think what a lot of people don't know is that the Grammys are a nonprofit. Um, and so, or I guess technically I should say we as the Grammys or are the Recording Academy, right, is the official name of our umbrella. 
And we're a not-for-profit. We have a fully non-profit arm called Music Cares, which a lot of people know about. Everyone's like, you know, they, they either got like a COVID grant from Music Cares this year or Music Cares helped them in the past. You know, like you, you, sometimes we'll like, you know, give money to guitarists. Let's say they broke a hand and then they can't play more and they can't go over and then you know, mm-hmm. we would kind of step in with that. Or like a lot of older blues musicians who have fallen on hard times, you know, we'll help them like pay their rent and stuff like that. Um, so Music Cares is actually under the Grammy umbrella, and so is the Grammy Museum. And so there are, uh, as is the Latin Grammys, so there are all kinds of elements of things that we do that are under this larger umbrella called, you know, the Recording Academy. We even have an advocacy arm that is based out of Washington, D.C., and that does things like advocate for, um, you know, the Fair Pay, Fair Play Act, which is to allow artists in the United States to finally get money off of their terrestrial radio play, which, you know, we don't hear and conversely, because European and, and global artists don't get money in the United States when their records play on terrestrial radio, American artists don't get them anywhere else. So American artists get screwed twice because we don't get terrestrial radio play here. And then we also don't get it internationally. Um, and so we advocate in D.C. to, you know, we're trying to get that passed. We're trying to get a lot of um, a lot of some smaller things passed as well. So things like just being able to bring your uh, instrument on the plane even if you have to buy it a second ticket, you know, if it's like a cello, right. And it's really large. Um, or, you know, just to not have to put it in the cargo hold because everybody knows how many guitars get broken by cargo folks. So little things like that, that you don't think make a difference, but if that's somebody's livelihood and they don't want it broken when they have to travel for a gig, that actually matters. So we have a whole arm that does that as well. Um, and so, you know, yes, the production is a large focus of what we do and it does give us a lot of our operating budget but it's definitely not the only thing that we do and on top of it we also hire out to outside production companies so you know ken ehrlich had been our producing partner for the last like 30 40 years um and he recently retired and so now we're working with a new gentleman named ben winston um who i think just moved over he's done the brits and some other um uk award shows things like that so he's our new producing partner um the new executive producer for the show starting this year um so i mean yeah we do obviously have you know in-house folks who do production and stuff like that but you know we're also a membership focused organization so we have chapters all over the country um, that are focused on community building, that are focused on things like our Grammy U program, which is we go out to colleges and universities um, and we try to reach out to the kids who are in music business programs or who are in music programs. So if they're like, oh, I'm a piano player, I'm a drummer, I'm a you know trumpet player at Berkeley, you know, whatever, we reach out to them, they can then become Grammy U members and that gives them access to all kinds of programs for students um, you know, to become a part of the music community. So there's a lot of things that like the Grammys do outside of the show itself. Um, because really at the end of the day, yes, we have this big show. Yes, we give these awards. But I mean, what we do is we're, we're a company that serves the music community. Mm-hmm. Right. I actually was in Grammy U very briefly in college. Um, That's amazing. I went to NYU's music business program and there were a few people in my in my major that were close friends of mine that got me to go to a couple of events and things like that. Nice. Um, awesome. How did you how did you like it? I mean, I'm just curious if you think that it, it helped you at all or helped anybody. 
No, I definitely thought it was awesome. I ended up just, I took like seven classes that semester. So I ended up not being able to go to too many events and this. That's why I eventually stopped going. But I knew a couple of people that actually prioritized it over a lot of the work that they did uh, in school. <laughs> they liked it so much. So um, I, one of my best friends was in it for like years. So oh, nice. um, yeah, I only have good things to say about it. I also got to meet Danny Brown through an event that, and nice. that I freaked out back then. Um, so, oh yeah. Was, uh, it's, I mean, like we always, nice. We joke that like Grammy U folks are going to be really disappointed when they, you know, grow up and become a real member because like <laughs> real members don't get all this stuff with Grammy U kids. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I was, um, I used to have interns at my old, at my old job and I would always, in addition to get them to learn things, try to like impress them. And I feel like that's generally what people do in the music industry for people that aren't in it yet. It's almost why we have this podcast, right? It's it's like, you're so cool. <laughs> this is so cool. What we do is so cool. And that's funny to hear that, that extends to like Grammy you also and doing that with college students. Oh yeah, um, definitely. <laughs> Cool. So um, I guess like, you, I mean, you do a lot of different things, obviously, year round. Uh, you have a few different roles, uh, talent booker, uh, you know, you oversee a few different categories at the Grammys. Uh, I guess at a high level for each of the things that you do, what does like success look like? Um, partially, like what does the night of the Grammys look like? And what does the lead up look like? Um, some of these other programs in, in your role, like how do you define success at the end of the year? And then how do you use that to I guess, goal set for the next year? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a really great question actually, because, you know, none of the answers I'm going to give have anything to do with like money or data metrics mm-hmm. or anything like that. <laughs> I make know? a whole lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen. Did I get the bag or did I not get the bag? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I wish that were the case. Let me repeat, the Grammys are a not-for-profit. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> but no, I mean, I love, I joke, but I love, I love what I do. Um, mm-hmm. I'm definitely one of those people that like, you know, my, my other like, you know, I, the other thing I love to do, my other hustle is like social justice work. And so I always joke with my parents where I'm like, uh, I'm not going to be the rich daughter. So that's the other one. You're going to have to talk to her about that. <laughs> I'm always the one that's like, but the purity, the purity. Of purity. <laughs> so, um, so for take me. money from Wall Street hacks. <laughs> yeah, I'm exactly. out here my community. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> So, I mean, I guess for me, success is definitely like, I think when the nominations come out, because each of us that's a genre manager, right? We love our genres. Most of us are experts in them. Most of us have, you know, lived in them for years. Like I was the tour manager and director of operations for Moby for multiple years and have been in the dance music, uh, like dance music specifically for like the last 10 years of my career. Um, and so, you know, dance is a community that I am very passionate about. It's a community that I really love. Um, and, you know, and the music and the people really mean something to me. So I take a lot of pride in the nominations every year because I do want them to be, you know, the best of whatever was out there, you know, the year before. Because, like, if you see, you know, the show in, let's say, 2021 coming up, right, then we're still talking about stuff that was released from, you know, late 2019 through mid 2020. So there is somewhat of like a lag between, you know, when the stuff is released and what year you see it in the show. Um, 
But so, you know, when those nominations come out in like November, December every year, you know, I really wait to see what the community thinks of them because that's my metric of, of like personal success. Like, did I do enough outreach? Did I go to enough shows? Did I talk to enough people to know what was up and coming? You know, I think there's right. a misnomer between or a misconception, I should say, um, between the idea that everyone thinks that like all these things are released every year and that the Grammys can just sort of like pick and choose. We actually can't. When I say we get 22,000 entries, I mean that though you have to submit your material. Your, your label has to submit it. You know, a, a member of the Academy has to submit it. Like it has to get to us somehow. We can't just take everything that's been released in a certain year. And sometimes artists choose not to participate in the process. So there are some artists where in the past people have said, oh, how, you know, why didn't this win? Or how, how wasn't this recognized by the Grammys? Well, the answer sometimes is they didn't submit. And we can't just, like I said, pick and choose. We can only really take from what has been submitted to us. And so every genre manager really takes it upon themselves to do the outreach, to see what's popping, see what, you know, is really making waves within our communities, um, to really get out there to see like, okay, what would, if we missed this, would that make us look bad when, when these nominations come out? Because our community says this is what's best this year. If it doesn't get submitted to us, people won't understand why and they won't know that it didn't. So we do a lot of outreach to stay current, to, you know, really make sure that people understand that we're paying attention. You know, I know that dance uh, electronic has so many subgenres. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I get that so much where it's like, somebody's like, well, how come no drum and bass artists? How come yeah. there's no underground? How come there's no UK grind? I'm like, yeah. I'm trying, I'm trying. Yeah, y'all didn't even know that was a genre yet. Yeah. I didn't know. <laughs> it just came out too, so. Right? I know. Like, I'm getting a lot of shit. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm getting a lot of, like, crap right now about, like, you know, uh, Jersey, uh, Jersey Club. Like, Jersey Club. Jersey Club does not need to be added into the graduate. <laughs> <laughs> With all due respect. Put down. <laughs> no, no, no. That's, those are my personal personal opinions by no means are they reflecting those of our guest Shannon Herbert. He's like, wait, time out. Yeah, yeah. Let it, let it be clear, recording Academy PR team. <laughs> Exactly. That didn't come from me. Yeah. <laughs> right. But yeah, you know, everybody's got their favorite and they all want to see it represented. And, and you know, they definitely should. Um, but you know, it's just like, okay, well, if I didn't get New Jersey Club this year, I can't I can't personally do anything about that except try and make more inroads and more connections with the Jersey Club community. Um, and so, you know, that's just all really like a long-winded way of saying that like if the nominations come out and everybody in the in like the dance community is basically like, yeah, that's good. I like that. That's a good representation. Then I'm like, okay, success. I I, I well, I helped to well represent our community this year. That's awesome. So I, I know it, sorry, Sam, I have a follow-up question. Some yeah. of it obviously a lot of it is up to the people that vote though, right? Like oh, all of it. Yeah, let me be super clear. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I'm just like the administrator that's rolling the ball down the hill. I don't vote. I don't have any, right. like we as the recording Academy have no, we don't make quality controls, none of it. Right. It's all up to the voters for sure. But in terms of 
making sure on our end that we're getting the right entries, that you know we're getting the right people as voting members, that we're getting enough of them, that like we're you know we're hitting demographic representation, we're hitting age right. representation, we're hitting geographic representation. You know that we want our voting body to represent the community. So, you know, it's a lot like the government, like if only a certain sector of, you know, the population is voting, well, then those nominations are going to reflect that population. And so that's where we come in, is that we try to broaden, you know, the scope of like who's voting, the scope of what's being submitted to us, that kind of thing. But as for like, yeah, who's making those decisions, it is all voters, absolutely 100% voters. That's amazing. So when it comes to, because um, I, I know you kind of even helped drive like a 35% year over year increase as far as helping ensure that there were more underrepresented subgenres and communities in the dance electronic award entries. What, I mean, so tactically, this is nurturing relationships, keeping your finger to the pulse, nurturing relationships with different managers, independent labels, helping ensure that they're actually making submissions. Yeah, I, I nailed it. I mean, like I use the government um, analogy quite a bit because it's really true. The same thing I do in my social justice work where somebody's like, man, I don't vote because I don't like these people. I'm like, well, then you don't get to bitch. The same thing <laughs> is true <laughs> with like the Academy. The first time somebody comes to me with like, you know, a complaint about um, a nominee, I'm always like, well, did you vote? No. Okay. Well then I can't, I can't yeah. help you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, that's what it is. And so, you know, you, you totally nailed it because then a lot of people would be like, well, that's expensive. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to join up. I'm like, listen, Academy membership is like a hundred bucks a year. A, if this is your job, you can write it off, right? Because it's considered a professional membership, but B that's less than $10 a month. So, you know, do you want to invest in your career? Do you want to invest in seeing the best of our communities represented in the Grammys? You know, is, is this an investment you're willing to make as opposed to sitting on the sidelines and just sort of complaining that you never see people like you represented? Um, because it really does matter. You know, some of these categories only have maybe, let's say, 100 entries in them. You know, I think dance album this year best dance electronic album had like 118 entries in it um and you know not everyone who's a voting member is an expert in dance electronic so not everyone is going to vote in that category and so therefore your vote actually does truly matter because maybe you're one of you know 4000 members who are voting in that category so you absolutely can make a difference um and, you know, for those folks who want to say, like, well, we don't see any Black women in, in dance, and, and, you know, that's a, absolutely a valid, valid um, statement. But also at the same time, you know, I kind of go back to, like, the representation is, okay, well, are you a member? Are, are you making a difference on the inside? Are you voting to see that representation? Um, and so that's, you know, that is where I come in is to go to all these folks, do, you know, Grammy 101s with them, do the outreach to the labels, do the outreach to, you know, UK companies, to Netherlands companies, so like a spin-in records um, or a hospital records or, you know, something that's not US-based. To say like, hey, we really care. We want your artists represented. We want you guys to be, you know, voting members. We want you to have a better 
um, a better relationship with us and to see ourselves represented in the entries and in the nominations. You know, it kind of, there was a shift from, you know, maybe not everybody agreed with what was happening with some of our genres. And then lately there's been, I think, a real shift towards we as a company are making a concerted effort to bring in a wider swath of the music community. And I think we're starting to see that reflected in nominations and wins. Right. So I can kind of already see how your social justice work and the skills um, that you probably develop when you do that interact with what you do, for example, getting representation uh, at the Recording Academy. Um, but I want to dive a little bit deeper into that. Um, so how do you think your your just, your social justice work, uh, first of all, like what what is some of it that you do? And also, um, how do you, how does it interact with the work that you do at the Recording Academy? Obviously, Music Cares is, sounds like uh, something that kind of crosses both. And also, like, what are some of the skill sets you've developed that kind of help you in one or the other? Oh, yeah. Those are awesome questions. Thank you, Jordan. Um, <laughs> <You're welcome. laughs> I was like, oh, okay, these are really in-depth. Let's, let's get into it. <laughs> um, yeah, Music Cares is awesome. I love, I love Music Cares. Like, you know, I think that's the other really fun thing is that um, during the time, during, like, those three months when, you know, we're kind of done wrapping up you know, the past year's show, we haven't quite moved into the next year's show cycle yet. Um, you know, I usually am doing a lot of outreach. So I'm going to a lot of shows going, you know, like I said, going to other countries, sort of visiting other labels and things like that. Um, but also within that time, particularly this year, because of COVID, mm -hmm. um, we were giving out all of those grants. And so it was kind of an all hands on deck situation because there were just so many applications and so many people who were hurting and, and still are, you know, it's not like COVID's gone away, but um, you know, so many folks who really needed help because particularly in the touring industry, which obviously I come from. And so, you know, I love all my tour folks, but they were losing jobs left and right. You know, all the work they had lined up for the next couple years is gone. And so, right. you know, I immediately jumped in and was like, okay, how can I help? I don't, you know, I can, I can do my, my awards work, you know, for a couple hours a day. And then how can I help mm -hmm. jump in to work on COVID stuff? Um, right. And so, you know, that was really, um, uh, really heartwarming and fulfilling for me to be able to like actually see the work that I was doing have like an immediate effect and an immediate effect for my friends, you know, because when people whose application I didn't even process, you know, somebody else did, but then they would mm -hmm. reach out to me and be like, I got my, I got my, my you know, music cares check. Thank you guys so much. This is what it's going to do for me. I can pay my rent this month. I can buy right. bills or I mean, I can pay bills. I can buy groceries. Like, you know, to see like that real world effect was amazing. Um, and what I do outside of the Academy is I'm part of two groups. One is LA Forward, which is a progressive, a local LA progressive um, uh, political organization. And so we work to move po uh, progressive political campaigns forward. So things in LA like Measure J, uh, Prop 15. And Measure J is like a, a defund. Well, I mean, it, it's a reassignment of, of money that to social programs from mm -hmm. a pile that used to belong to LAPD and LA sheriffs. And so we've reassigned it to, uh, or the measure, I should say, has now reassigned, because it passed. So Measure J reassigned, <laughs> you know, anywhere between 500 million to a billion dollars that used to go into the pockets of LAPD and LA sheriffs, and now reassigns it to um, social programs and to anti-recidivism programs and things like that to really help people get back on their feet. 
Um, so, you know, and then we hold local officials accountable. We, you know, try and get people, um, progressive champions like Nithya Rahman, who just became uh, a city councilwoman for district four. We try to, you know, really help their campaigns and things like that. And then the other thing I do is a group, uh, it's the LA chapter of a group called showing up for racial justice. And the LA chapter is specifically called white people for black lives. Um, because we're obviously very aware that, you know, really in order for us to stand up and show up for, uh, marginalized communities, we have to work within our own community because that's where the power structure lies. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we are doing that work. I think also it's probably one of the spaces, one of the things I love about it is that it's called an affinity space, right? And so half of the money that we, we collect goes to BLMLA because Mm -hmm. we're their affinity partner. So we take all of our like marching orders from BLMLA. Like, what do you need us to do? Where do you need us to be? How can we help? And then we, you know, we take, uh, like I said, their direction, give them half of our money. And then the other thing that we do is we sort of like call in our people. So let's say there's somebody who maybe wants to start uh, doing social justice work, but they don't know how, and particularly if they're white, then what that sometimes means is is they're going to turn to their nearest black friend and be like, so what do I do? And so we're trying to like take that burden and that emotional work off of our, our, our BIPOC friends and be like, no, no, that's okay. You can come talk to me and I'll help you. And then whatever stupid things you say, I can absorb. And you're not going to like harm a marginalized person with, with your stupid question. And I, I, I say stupid like in quotes because of course there are no right. stupid questions. But, you know, that sort of thing. So Slightly it's a lot of like, question. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. yeah. So it's a lot of essentially like, you know, calling our cousins and and trying to do the work to like, you know, call, um, let's say maybe, you know, underprivileged white people in Georgia and say, hey, uh, I think you might need to vote a different way. Or how can we help explain why maybe Raphael Warnock is better than Kelly Loeffler? Or, hey, let me right. talk to you about John Ossoff instead of David Perdue, um, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. So. Um, yeah, and so sorry to answer your question in a super long <laughs> <way>. <laughs> Um, you know, a lot of it is the same. Arts and social justice are like two different sides of the same coin, right? Right. Everyone is just trying to like be creative, do good in the world. You know, usually if you believe in social justice, you're probably also an artist in some way, creative. And if you're creative, then you probably are also, you know, interested in social justice. And so I think there's a lot of people who sort of fall on that, that middle ground. Um, And so that's sort of where I see that being a bridge, right? Is that a lot of the organizing work that I've learned how to do in some of these, um, some of these social justice groups, I can take back to the Grammys. And then, like I said, when someone Mm -hmm. comes to me and says, you know, there's been no black female representation in the history of the nominations within the dance community. I'm like, you're right. Let's fix it. Mm -hmm. You know, let's talk to those folks. Um, Let's get out there and let's talk to the honey Dijons. Let's talk to the Alunas. Um, you know, let's like, let's bring those folks together and see what we can do and how can we make everyone, you know, feel like they're part of this community. Um, and so I think that that's where it's kind of, I didn't realize how similar those two things were, um, Mm -hmm. until I sort of started, you know, with the last couple of years to kind of marry them together and be like, oh, this is actually all kind of the same work. Um, so yeah. Right. And I'm sure like, 
a lot of the things that you do, for example, when you call someone in Georgia to try to convince them one senator over another, a lot of that is just having really good communication skills. And I know, at least in my experience as a manager, that that also translates to speaking to artists, which I'm sure you do a good amount too, and speaking to people at your company, which I'm sure you do a good amount too. So um, yeah, it seems it seems like a natural extension for working at a nonprofit in the music industry for you to be doing the work that you're doing for sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, thanks. I'm glad that all came through. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and I guess as we close out here to kind of like pivot a little bit more back to the dance world, um, how have you seen the world of dance evolve in recent years? And what do you think is in store for the coming years? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, it, you know, it's been really interesting, I think, especially coming from working with Moby for years, he, you know, was such a big part of sort of the creation um, of dance within the United States and, um, and sort of the nexus of it in the early nineties in New York and all that kind of stuff. And so I ended up seeing a lot of like the old plur values, right. Cause he really lived in that, that era of just like peace, love, unity, you know, all that kind of stuff. And right. in, you know, we all know, where, well, hopefully we all know that, you know, dance comes from marginalized communities and that's, you know, where it started. Um, and so to kind of see as things generally do go from a marginalized community to hit the mainstream, to be taken over by the mainstream, to then sometimes kind of circle back around. I feel like we're on that other cusp within dance. Like I'm starting to mm-hmm. see a lot of people be like, we're taking it back. It's not going to be the bro, you know, dance that it is or that it has been mainstream wise for a while, mm-hmm. you know, not to malign like any, any artists who've been really amazing and sort of bringing dance, I think, to a more mainstream multinational space. Like we're grateful for, or I guess I only want to speak for myself, right? Like I'm grateful that it brought more eyes to the community, but at the same time, it's like much like anything else, when it gets too big, you lose control of it. Right. And so right. I'm, I feel like I'm starting to see those those folks kind of wanting to take control of, of the genre again. Like you're starting to see a resurgence, I think, of like, um, you know, Chicago House and Detroit Techno and mm-hmm. a real return of, of marginalized folks to reclaim the space and say, we started it and we're here. Um, and I love that. I absolutely love that. Mostly because those are the values that I I recognize and I relate to. And, you know, so I I really love the idea that we're going back to the old school plur values. And also when you look at kids these days, and I know I'm old because I just said kids these days, I'm going to tell somebody to get off my lawn in about five minutes. <laughs> when, you, when you look at the, gen, the, the, the what, are, what are they, Gen Zers? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I know. When I look at the Gen Z, I'm like, we don't have any alphabets after that. What's the next kids going to be? Gen double We're going to have to switch to Greek after that. (laughs) No. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Sam. No, you please. I was about to say nothing, really. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll just wrap it up by saying, like, you know, a lot of the Gen Zer uh, artists that I see these days don't like being defined by genre. And I totally get that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think what that brings back to us is the the reminder that music is, you know, is boundary transcendent. 
And so kids are going to do what they're going to do. And if somebody wants to mash, you know, like Moombaton, right, is one of my favorites because there's it's so many, so many like little bits of everything in it. Um, and I think that's what kids are going to do. And so I'm really excited to see what happens with dance and how it grows um, in like the next five to 10 years. Because I think we're just going to see influences from all over right. the place. Yeah, no, I love that perspective completely. And I think it's uh, spot on as well. I think um, even within just like the, the house genre, I feel like we're starting to see that just have more mainstream appeal amongst such a broad uh, demographic. So I think it's um, super fun to see. Yeah, when you, when you were uh, talking about that, Sam, I could see you, I could see you smile a little bit because Sam fucking loves house music. And you said Chicago too. Yeah, you know, even before you said it, <laughs> yeah. where, where, when you started talking about that, like little arc, I was like Chicago house, like right off top. So spot, spot on. But um, no, that's amazing. Well, uh, well, Shannon, I want to thank you so much, both of us do, for coming on. I think uh, your perspectives, a lot of the work you're doing to drive positive change uh, within the music community and uh, far beyond is, is truly incredible. So thank you for sharing some of your approach and tactics with us. Really grateful. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's been, yeah, it's been so nice to chat with both of you. And I'm, I'm so glad to speak to other uh, other Chicago house lovers. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> Once COVID's over, I'll catch you at the warehouse. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, Shannon. Well, thank you so much. No problem. Thanks, guys. All right, take care. Damn, well, that was a great episode, man. What'd you think, Jordan? Yeah, man. You know, like, like I was saying in the intro, I think just the fact that this process of the Grammys from A to Z is, is demystified throughout this episode will be so valuable for people. Um, we not only went through that process, but I think we went through the process fairly charismatically and in, and in a fun and entertaining way. So I'm super glad that we got to do this. I'm super glad that we got to discuss not just the social justice that she does via uh, the Recording Academy and Music Cares, but also the work that she does outside of that. And uh, generally just an interesting story. And I'm, I'm glad I'm glad we did it. What do you think, Sam? Um, yeah, I thought it was incredible. I, I think uh, what I really stuck out too is just how she's so proactive in nurturing those relationships, keeping her fingers on the pulse, and helping empower these different subgenres and uh, that might not necessarily be as familiar with the process, but might still be like worthy applicants. So, I, and right. yeah, I thought that was really interesting because I think how the uh, Recording Academy and Grammys—I mean—that's how they're able to to grow and shine a light where it should be shined. And I think she mentioned that, mentioned not only her efforts, but also the importance of continuing to have a bigger pool of people that are actually a part of the Academy, the different members that are making that responsible for nominations for the review process. So I think um, as we, as the Grammys continue to evolve, I think it's people like her that are helping spearhead the, the progression of the community, both on the artist side, as well as on the recording Academy side itself. So uh, it was really great to hear a little more in depth how that all really works. Um, all right, well, there y'all have it. That's, that's it. It's another week, another <laughs> podcast. We, we really appreciate you guys for tuning in. Um, and we'll be back next week. There it is. One love. See you guys.